to the point where I've simplified it to two questions. The first question is, what sort of effort did I bring? Only I can answer that. My coach can't answer it. My teachers can't answer it. My parents can't answer it. Only I can answer what sort of effort did I bring? And it's not results-based. It's purely effort. It's engagement. It's uh, a willingness, right? And then the second is, is what sort of teammate was I today? And now you can even explain that a little bit is, is how did I handle, how did I handle the situations today when a teammate might've been uh, harsh with me or a coach was critical of me or we lost the game, right? It, it, that sort of reaction is still not results-based. It's still based within your ability to, to control your own reaction. All right. Welcome back to the Leadership Compass podcast. This is Chris and, and Dave. I uh, just want to remind you, we're uh, podcast is available where most podcasts can be found. We're on Spotify. Give us a give us a like and a positive review. We're also on Instagram at the Leadership Compass podcast, um, or I believe it's a, at the Leadership Compass. Uh, so you can follow us on there. Um, but uh, today we've got uh, an amazing show for you uh, with the unbelievably inspiring uh, Luis Robles, uh, recently retired um, MLS goalkeeper, uh, played eight seasons with uh, the New York Red Bulls, uh, has the record for most consecutive uh, starts. Uh, just and all that aside, just an amazing human being. Yeah, Chris. Um, for our our audience, uh, you know, educators and students and whoever it may be, I mean, this is a world class athlete who's reached the top of his game. Uh, but his humbleness and his upbringing and what makes him tick is really inspiring. And it comes down to relationships and serving others and making the people around him better. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Uh, he's just an inspiring dude. Absolutely. So. Uh, we're excited to bring this one to you, and uh, please enjoy. This is the Leadership Compass podcast. Welcome to the Leadership Compass podcast, our journey to explore how the best leaders lead with your hosts, Dave and Chris. We interview leaders in education, coaching, and business to see what makes them tick and what makes them the best leaders they can be. And now, the Leadership Compass Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Leadership Compass Podcast. Uh, you're here with Chris and Dave, and we have uh, a great conversation coming at you here. Um, we have uh, Luis Robles. Uh, former, uh, recently retired, I should say, uh, MLS goalkeeper, um, and uh, also former resident of, of the Ridgewood community. Uh, and so we're, we're excited to have Luis here on the show. Um, Luis, I don't know if you want to just introduce yourself to everybody and, and kind of just say hello, and, and then we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, as, as Chris had mentioned, we know each other from from uh, just sort of interacting at the Ridgewood School, but actually one step further, we, uh, we, we, we went to the same church. So yeah. uh, I've gotten to know Chris and his family pretty well. And what's happened is, is we used to live in Ridgewood, Ridgewood. Our kids attended Somerville. And, and then because of 
my professional career, we moved down here to South Florida and we're actually part of the inaugural season for Inter-Miami. And after one, one year down here and 15 years as a professional, uh, my wife and I have retired from professional soccer, at least as, as our, our playing days. And now we're just looking to what's next, but, but we miss Ridgewood and we hope one day, we hope one day our, our paths will take us back to Ridgewood. Absolutely. Um, so Luis, I, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, we know each other, um, outside of, um, you know, outside of, um, you know, just the, the Ridgewood community, we did go to church together and, and, uh, it, it's also been great to get to know your family, our kids spending time together on Sundays, uh, and getting to know each other as well. Um, I, I don't know if you wouldn't mind just starting telling us a little bit about, um, about your playing days. I know that you, as we mentioned, you just recently retired, so you've got some free time, but, um, where, where are you from originally and, and how did kind of, how did soccer become your, um, become your thing? Like how did, how did that, how did that kind of start going all the way back to, you know, where you're from to begin with? Okay. So I was born in Fort Arizona. My dad is a very proud military man. He actually was in the civilian sector working as a contractor when he got stationed back in Fort Huachuca, but it really had been his third stint there. It was, it was a place that he really loved, very beautiful, nestled on the foothills of the mountains. The mountains are actually the U.S.-Mexico border. So we, we were a border town. And uh, being born in Fort Huachuca, there's a very strong connection to the military. Um, it probably wouldn't exist for the longest time if the military wasn't there. And now it's just sort of become um, a border patrol hub. So Born and raised there, had a, a great childhood there. An older brother who's in the service. He's actually, uh, he's done three tours down to Iraq and he's actually serving right now in Honduras. Wow. So we're a very proud military family. And uh, I think really up until my second or third years of professional, my dad kept saying, hey, you can enlist or you could go to RFC. <laughs> I got a, a, a soccer scholarship to go to the University of Portland. And even while I was there, he said, hey, there's Air Force ROTC, like you could, you could join. And, and even during the recruiting process, I had committed to the University of Portland pretty early on. And I mean, I'd even say it was September. It was real early in my senior year. I still had visits to go to other schools. And I just knew um, that this is where I wanted to go. I still went on those visits. I didn't tell the coaches that I'd committed. Uh, and my parents still made me go through the nomination process. They just, they just thought, you know, if it doesn't work out with soccer, you could go to one of the academies. And, and because of soccer, I actually got into all three academies. Um, but it was also a really cool experience because the, the nomination process allowed me to be interviewed by Senator Kane. And just being able to interact with him and his panel, I thought was really cool. Yeah. But I, I was undeterred. Uh, at six years old, I told my parents I was going to be a professional athlete. At the time, I thought I was going to be a baseball player. But then, as fate would have it, when I was 11 years old, just finishing all-star season, my best friend, Sean, uh, who also went into the military, but he, he convinced me to try out for the soccer team. And up until then, my exposure to soccer was, you know, one or two years of wreck. It was mostly schoolyard, but I was a baseball player. And I, I went out for the team. It was very apparent 15 minutes in that I was out of my league. Uh, I just in no way, shape or form resembled a soccer player. So uh, to no one's surprise, they cut me after the first day. But what it ended up happening is a couple weeks later, they needed a goalie. Um, and really what had happened is 
is their goalkeeper at the time was also a baseball player. We, we were, you know, doing the whole baseball thing together and his mom was gun ho about baseball. And she said, no, my son's going to be a professional baseball player. So he can't, and he's going to be a pitcher. So he can't hurt his hands. You know, he's not going to play goal anymore. Uh, and so sort of to my benefit, cause this guy's way more athletic than me. He, he said he was, he was done. And, and they called me up and said, Hey, Luis, if you're willing to play goalie and, and just goalie, cause we've seen you on the field, you suck. Um, <laughs> you can be on the team. Right. And I thought, sure. You know, this is just going to give me another opportunity, even more opportunity to hang out with my best friend. And, and so that was the beginning of the story. And what's crazy is, in my town, we're not known for sports at all. There, were, there was never a kid that went on to play in college, let alone on scholarship, let alone division one. And in my generation, and there, there was never a kid that even went on to play professionally. And in my generation, that same kid who decided he was not gonna be a soccer goalie ended up having a major league baseball career. I went wow. on to having a professional soccer career. Wow. Um, some of my best friends growing up, one went to the University of Portland with me, got drafted out of, out of college his sophomore year, went to FC Dallas, had a, a very short career, was derailed by injuries. Uh, and then another one of our closest friends went on to junior college, transfer, like had a great career as well. Like it, it's sort of that Malcolm Gladwell outlier situation where mm -hmm. yeah. it was this generation of kids that in their own way sort of allowed one each other to grow and elevate because also my same year, there was a girl who went on to win the national championship at the University of Michigan in softball. Another girl who went on to get a full ride at Stanford and went, was on USA softball. Like those just this crazy, like. That's unbelievable. Crazy nexus. Of kids. And we were close. We were tight. We, we hung out together. We hung out on the weekends together. And, and, and then even more so, I had these three best friends, Sean, Tim, and Miguel. Sean's the one that got me into soccer. Miguel's the one that went to the University of Portland with me, had a, a professional career as well as actually coaching at New Mexico State now. And then Tim, like, that's all we did. And, and we just played soccer. We played soccer. We played soccer. And it was actually at 14. I was a freshman on varsity. I just got called into to the U14 national team for soccer. And no one up until that point had ever been called in. So I was just like, oh, this is going to instantly up my street cred with the girls. Like, I got to go. To this. <laughs> like, I, I got to go and, and, and play for Team USA. And my, my varsity coach was like, no, like, it doesn't work that way. You're going you're gonna to miss games. You have to make a decision. And this was sort of my all-star coach growing up. So he thought, like, for sure, like, Luis has a future in baseball. He's already being recruited, being offered scholarships as a freshman. Like, he's going to choose baseball. I go home, I talk to my parents. They sort of said like, it's your decision, but they're like, yeah, you're gonna play baseball. But for me, like my best friends played soccer. And so the very next day, without telling my parents, just like the college situation, um, I went and I told the baseball coach, hey, thanks, you know, but I'm gonna play soccer. And this guy thought like, oh, he'll be back in a couple of weeks. And, and that was it. I never played again. I never picked up the glove. I never, I never did anything. And, 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 and I think it worked out, you know, in the end, it worked yeah. out soccer wise. No doubt but about that, it. That's my story. Like, that's how it started. And that's, it's remarkable. I mean, that, that story about your hometown, I mean, that, that seems like it, it could be a movie and it's no coincidence, right? I mean, to have a group 
And, and Chris and I, we're working with kids and we're working with teenagers and, you know, we're trying to teach them. You, you, you kind of are who you hang out with. You know, that's who you become. Um, do you think there was anything there with the power of your group? And, and, and 100%, right? Like, when you read this book by Malcolm Gladwell, the one that resonates me most is the Bill Gates situation, right? Bill Gates had a, had, a, had a dad who was very powerful as a lawyer. And on the West Coast, there was two supercomputers, right? And one was at, I think, Stanford or somewhere down there in the Northern California area. And then one was at the University of Washington. And so Bill Gates and I think his friend Paul Allen had this great opportunity to just have access to this super cute computer before everyone else. And it, it, you still have to have talent. You still have to have that drive. You still have to have, you know, the right things work out, but you also have access to something that sort of makes the story a little different. And that was my upbringing, right? Because since then, no one's gone on to play professionally. I think one or two kids might've gone on to play in college, but it nowhere even close to that generation. And there was just this sort of like, without being egotistical, this one upping of right. one another, like, well, if that kid's doing that, I got to do this. And then you just started to figure out, well, like, what are they doing? Oh, they're driving. Cause I'm from a small town, like in sticks that, that, that old Western scene where the tumbleweed goes across, yeah. that's like my town. Right. Right. And yet these kids were making the drive up to Tucson, mm -hmm. which is like a legitimate city. It's an hour and a half away. And the reason they're doing this is because this kid over here is doing it. And, and then like, I don't know, it just, I was a real benefactor of all of it. And when I look at that group, when we start playing soccer of the, of the four kids, I was definitely number four. I was a hard four, right? It was <laughs> one, two, three gap. And then me, but my parents were always willing to just let me go and play soccer at the city park. And that, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with that challenge of staying in the goal with my friends trying to score on me and just this idea of like, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. And even now with my kids, the, the thing that I, I just, I try not to be overly excited about anything. Cause I know that it's early on they're young kids, but I do try to give them little nuggets of truth. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's how do I, how do I make this fun for them? I just want this to be fun for them because that's why I chose soccer. Right. Cause it was the most fun for me, even though I was better at baseball, I was more developed at baseball. I was more gifted at baseball. It seemed like that's where I was going, but the fun was at soccer, right? Like being able to hang out with these guys all day long, uh, school was done. We go to the city park. We'd be there for hours. Sun went down. My parents would pick us up. Right. Like that was, that was my upbringing. Yeah. Do you, do you find that, you know, just being, being a dad now that some of the, some of that is, is missing today that there's something, I mean, forget the pandemic, right? Like I get that there's some of that social stuff that, that just hasn't happened in the last year. That's understandable, but just in general, like having to just that, that whole idea of going out to the park and like Sandlot, you know, like playing just kids playing pickup games and making each other better. I don't know. Some but part of me feels like some of that's missing these days. Everything is so hyper-controlled all these, uh, you know, all-star teams and this and that, you know, do you, do you, have you found, or have you worked with any, you know, like youth ath athletes and just see that the development is different with, with other kids or. So this is a big topic of conversation in our house and Kara, my wife, uh, who's also from Sierra Vista, we met uh, in high school, but we have been talking about this a lot. And the reason we've been talking about it is because our kids are now sort of in sports, right? Uh, Eli is playing for this travel team. He's eight. Come on. <laughs> travel team, eight years old. 
he's playing for this travel team and 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 people are really into it and he trains tuesday wednesday thursday he has the option to train friday monday and he's the option to train friday and they play on the weekend and i'm just like no like eli you're not going to every single training right like you're eight you have to be he's outside playing with our neighbors soccer in the backyard do that right it needs to be unorganized fun right you're eight years old and so the reason this conversation has, has been going on is because there's all these things that he can go to. There's SAQ, there's speed and agility, there's futsal. Global game and some of the, the best development and some of the most fun and growth that occurs is in the same lot. Right. And so, yes, like absolutely. And, 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 and my wife and I have really just hit the pause button on where some of the conversation was going for us internally is because we started to realize we had to take a step back and we had to realize that we had a very unique experience, right? Not everyone ends up in, ends up being a professional. Not everyone ends up having a really good professional career. And so our experience is going to be different than other people. So we need to just pause and stop being judgmental. We need to stop thinking that we have the answers, that we know it all, because we don't. We have just arrived that people really love their kids, right? And they just don't know sometimes how to best show that love. Right. And when there is a connection like sports or dance or an activity where the parent is sort of involved, even though the parent isn't right, right. The, the parent is involved. It can go a variety of different ways, but at the core of it, I do generally think that those parents love their kids. And this is why they're at the trainings. This is why they're trying to help their kid find whatever it is, whatever additional training that they want to go to is because that's also how they can share their love. The show their love is provide that opportunity for their kids. And I mean, as, as you guys know, Ridgewood is, it's an affluent area. People have means. And so that love is going to be a little less hindered and a little bit more accessible when it comes to resources and ways in which they can play that out. And it's the same here in Parkland, right? So in Parkland, it, it's a very similar setup to Ridgewood because the schools are great, right? You guys know as educators, like that is just so attractive, right? Not only is it attractive for families and young and, and young kids, but for resale value and home value, like the whole shebang, all of it. And so we're down here in Parkland and you, you get that same sense that there is, there is a real involvement with the parents, which is great, right? But, you know, I mean, it just comes out in different ways that who knows how it's going to play out. But the one thing that we do know is that the numbers show, and they've consistently shown, that very, very few athletes, amateur athletes, will go on and be scholarship athletes, let alone college athletes, uh, or the other way around, college athletes, let alone scholarship athletes, and even fewer will go on to be professionals, right? So I think there's a lot of value in sports. I think there's a lot of value in competing, and some of those lessons are applicable to everything in life. Yeah, Such a message, and I don't know. Maybe you've ever thought of becoming a, a high school principal. That that <laughs> is just it's it's so true. And I love the perspective of you know parents or anyone. Their, their emotions can show up in different ways. But if you if you approach everyone in 
the manner of, hey, they just, they love their kid. They want what's best for their kid. Right. Then, then, then you can kind of understand where those emotions are coming from. Yeah. Uh, it's just such a great message. Hey, Luis, the one, the one thing I've noticed about you is your humbleness. And it, it seems kind of, you know, watching you from a distance, researching a little, and, and just that seems, and, and maybe it's from your military background, and, you know, I thank your family for all their service. But um, one thing I'm interested in, Chris and I talk about it a lot, is competitive humbleness. And it's this kind of idea, and it's kind of an oxymoron, right? You think of a competitive person as someone who's, you know, kind of really cutthroat and um, puts themselves ahead of everybody. But I'm just wondering, as a world-class athlete and being around, you know, uh, these, these top professionals and coaches, and um, where does humbleness fall into that um, that equation with the most successful people that you've been around, including yourself? So, I mean, my, my parents, they're immigrants, right? My, my mom married my dad. My dad's from Puerto Rico. He got drafted into the military uh, back in the 50s for the Korean conflict. And, and so there's just a different sort of mindset in which they brought to our household. This idea of, uh, of at some t- sometimes you're gonna be a doormat. Like that's just the way the world works sometimes, but it, it, it doesn't change what you bring to the situation. You still get to control your reaction. You still get to control how you're gonna treat people. You still get to control the amount of effort you bring. And that was something that was rich within our household. And I don't think it was ever articulated and packaged the way that it's flushed out in my professional life to the point where I've simplified it to two questions. The first question is, what sort of effort did I bring? Only I can answer that. My coach can't answer it. My teachers can't answer it. My parents can't answer it. Only I can answer what sort of effort did I bring? And it's not results-based. It's purely effort. It's engagement. It's um, a willingness, right? And then the second is, is what sort of teammate was I today? And now you can even expand that a little bit is, is how did I handle, how did I handle the situations today when a teammate might've been uh, harsh with me or a coach was critical of me or we lost the game, right? It, it, that sort of reaction is still not results-based. It's still based within your ability to, to control your own reaction, the way that you process, the way that you uh, are going to either handle or compartmentalize or act out. And so for me, that may not necessarily look like humility, but how it's played out for me is I just started to realize that I'm just one part of all of it. And when I started to realize that I'm one part of all of it, I realized that in, that in itself gives me power to, to, to influence it in a, in a positive way or in a negative way. And then as I take a, a, a bigger step back, I just start to realize that even some of the situations I'm in, like I'm just fortunate to be here, right? I've met more talented goalkeepers. I've met people who are willing to grind more than me. I've met all those people, people smarter than me, people that just have a better perspective than me. Uh, and so for me to say that I'm just so much better than any of those people, I think was really freeing because I didn't have to be that. Like, I didn't have to be the smartest in the room. I didn't have to be the best goalkeeper. I didn't have to be the best. I just had to, to answer these two things. And I was hoping that I had more green days than red days where I did give it all. And, and you know what? I might've got scored on 90 times, but 
I gave it, I left it all on the field because it's not results-based. It's, it's purely perform. It's purely effort-based. And then if I'm will, if I was able to just be the sort of teammate that I want to have, if I was able to be the leader that I'd want to follow, if I was able to serve in a way that sort of plays out my faith, then I think, okay, great. You know, the rest is out of my control. Did you and I come think to that on your own, process, Dave, I think through that process, I just was able to relax. Like I was able to find freedom. Right. Yeah. It's very, it's very powerful. And I'm just wondering, did you, did you come to that on your own? Was there a moment? Did, did you just kind of take everything in and, and there was a moment where you said, all right, they're gonna, it's going to come down to these two questions. Did someone teach you that? Is it just something you developed? It's, it's a collaborative result because I wish I would have known this at 22. I think I would have been a better professional, especially as a young professional. Uh, but I didn't actually stumble upon it in such, an, in such a package form till I was 28. And that's when I arrived in New Jersey, actually. Um, some things in my life had not gone well. And we really felt like everything was just not working out for us. Like we're dealing with, with cancer in our family. We're dealing with my dad. You know, we thought, we thought at the same time, my wife's dad and my dad were going to pass. They were just going through really serious health issues. And then we had, we dealt with a, a miscarriage, a late term miscarriage. My wife was pregnant at the time. So there was just a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. And of course, our faith allowed us to sort of center ourselves, but then it was people that they weren't even necessarily the same faith. It was just people who cared about me. And this is one thing that I, I can't stress enough to young people. When you said about association, association isn't just peer level. Association is at, is at multiple levels. It can be a parental, it can be at advisor, it could be at coach, it could be at just uh, and it could be a peer, right? Like you have to surround yourself with good people. You have to surround yourself with people that are going to pour into you positive things. And that's what was going on is I had this network, this concentration of advisors who are really helping me sort of figure out what my ethos, my personal ethos is and, and how I was able to have a perspective on, on my professional life. And the, the one who was able to, to sort of whittle it down to these two questions is my father-in-law. And he's a pastor and back in our hometown. Uh, and and he, he, it's interesting because whenever we talk, there's sort of this lens of faith, but it's not, it's like very, very um, secular, if you will. I can't, I just can't think of another word to, to describe it. And, and that, that actually plays into other conversations because then I had a sports psychologist with a team. So I was able to continue the conversation. And then I just had a really good friend, just a, a friend that I confided in. And we sort of arrived at this, like collaboratively, we arrived at this. And so I was able to just ask myself these two questions every day. And until the day I retired, I asked myself these two questions and it ended up just becoming the guiding light for me. So I don't have a very specific answer for you to say, hey, this is what did it. It was purely collaboration, but the moment I was able to get there, Dave, I went from being a really good goalkeeper to a top goalkeeper, to a goalkeeper that was now setting records, was a huge part of the team. But then also what it allowed me to pivot to is I also became a leader, the type of guy that guys wanted to follow. 
Yeah, I was going to I was going to ask along those same lines. I mean, there were if you look at the timeline of your of you know of your career, I think there are two points where it, it is very clear that in some way the way I was looking at it was you you took a gamble on yourself. Um, and I would say and you can correct me if I'm wrong that um, it was one coming out of college was probably a time where you where you took a gamble on yourself. Um, and I'll, I'll circle back to that in a second, but also the time that you were just talking about where um, after that, that period where you first, and then you first entered the MLS, if, if I'm getting the timing correct, all the time you're talking about the, that tough time you were having with your family. Yeah. Um, you know, ha, I, first, I guess I'm, I'd love to hear about that period after college where, where I believe you were drafted into the MLS, but you made the decision to go play in Europe um, and kind of what prompted you to, to make that choice and that, and that kind of take that gamble. And then what lessons were learned there that kind of helped, um, you know, develop you as a leader and then help guide you through uh, some of these other moments that you were talking about where you eventually did make the leap to, to, uh, to join the MLS. Yeah, I, I think that's a really astute observation. And, and really, as you frame it like that, um, it's really accurate, right? Because it w- the easy decision would have been to sign a professional contract with DC United and stay domestically, stay close to home uh, and pursue my career that way. You know, these are things that like, I, I just try to, I try to share as much of the, um, the content as possible but to me, just with who I am, there's, there's always a faith element. I, I wanted to gamble because I also believe that this is where I was supposed to be going. And, and so when I went to Germany, uh, I, was, I was thrown into the deep end. And it allowed me to experience some things personally that I might not have experienced so early on if I stayed in the United States. Yeah. And I think there's a bigger play there, right? Because I don't think I was ready to be a captain. I don't think I was ready to be a leader, though I was the first ever um, captain at my, at my university as a redshirt freshman, right? Like that never happened. And so I could have been like, oh no, like I was just captain and I'm always a leader. I was student body president. Like I'm always a leader. Um, but no, like I actually had some really bad situations that occurred in college that that were my fault. And so in a way, like it was kind of nice that the leadership was stripped from me because now I was going in just trying to be a professional. Right. Um, and, and there are definitely a lot of soccer things that I learned while I was in Germany that I think are going to be applicable to my next career as I pursue a front office job or, or something of the like that can, that can sort of catch on, I think in a real way uh, when it comes to culture in the United States and soccer and the next generation and development. Uh, so, I mean, those are my big takeaways, but there were by no means the, the, the result that I desired when I, like I had this big dream, I was going to go to Europe and I was going to be like the best and I was going to make the national team and go to the world cup and play for Manchester United. You know, that was sort of what I was thinking. And it was actually nothing like that at all. You know, there were some really, really hot, really big highs, but there were some deep lows, some yeah. really deep lows 
that I think just as a person, it allowed me to develop uh, in a way that was very healthy because then as you get to the next one and I'm coming back to the United States, I, I think I just realized that I'm not as awesome as I thought I was. And there's something sobering about that, right? Where you are a star athlete in your hometown and then you're a scholarship athlete at uh, a very well-known soccer university. And then you go to another part of the world where, where soccer is the sport. And, and yeah, like, you know, if it would have gone this way, maybe it would have been different. Or if I would have made this decision would have been different. But in the end, I, I look at that entire experience and it was, it was actually better for me as a person because of that fact. Yeah. I, just start, I just realized that I'm not as awesome as I thought I was. And that actually is now the foundation of my leadership. And now as I took a, a gamble on myself in major league soccer, I didn't know where I was going to end up. And I didn't even know if, how good I was going to be. And it just ended up working out into this incredibly great story uh, that I, I got to experience an awesome ride and I got to meet some incredible people along the ways and win some trophies and some awards. But I also think that it's cultivating uh, the person that I can be in my next career, the type of person I hope to be in my next career. And all these experiences are adding or taking away or refining. And, and I think when I look back, I'm going to look back at those years in Germany as when it all started. I'm going to look back at my time in MLS is where it took a big step forward, but I'm still very much in that process of refining and, and trying to figure out the type of leader that I want to be in that next chapter. Yeah. I mean, that's okay, next. Go, go ahead, ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. That was just going to be my next question. I mean, you seem like such a, you're an inspiring guy, obviously a natural leader, you know, decorated career, you just retired, but I, I get the feeling you're just getting started. Uh, so I was just wondering, what your next goals are and, and what you want to do. I, I, Chris and I believe in, you know, servant leadership and, you know, a lot of people ask me what my job is and it's just, it's just to help others do their job better. And that's kind of how I simplify my, my job. Um, but I was wondering what your next goals are, because it seems like you're, again, you're just getting going. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel the same way in a sense that the next chapter is, is going to be really exciting and, and it's going to be dynamic and there's going to be some incredible experiences to be had uh, to to say that i have a clear pathway in which that's going to happen that, that's not true i mean i need to get in i mean i just did an inner i just did a i went through the interview process to get a really high executive job at the seattle sounders and i did really well in the interview process but at the end the reason why they're going to choose the guy that they're choosing over me is because I just came off the field. I don't have any experience. I, and, and I mean, of course, their experience is boxed in a way that I think organizationally works for them. But to say I have no experience is sort of underselling my uh, professional experience mm -hmm. because there's a lot of things that I got to experience just through my work as being one of the leaders in the MLSPA, right? The union that represents the players in negotiation. There's a lot of experience that I got because I didn't have an agent and I always negotiated and represent myself. And then of course, just the trials and tribulations of being a professional to eventually get to where I got. It's not, it's not as if like I accidentally became good. It's not as if I accidentally um, became the type of goalkeeper that could actually be in the record books, right? That was always there. It just needed to cultivate and it needed time to percolate. And eventually um, it came to fruition and, and, and I got to see 
the end result of, of that lengthy process. But that process for me was longer than, than some. But I think all those things happened for me, right? Not to me. They happened for me so that as I pursue this next part, and, and I really wish that I could articulate what it is that, that I want to be. I have an idea. Uh, I don't really feel so comfortable yet sharing it. But if it comes to fruition, at the core of all of it, in this business that at times is a meat market, that you are treated like a commodity, that it very much is results-based and it's not what did you do for me last year, it's what have you done for me today? What are you going to do for me tomorrow? There's, there's a dehumanization in all of that. And I understand that you're not always, it's, there's, it, it's by design that way to make tangible decisions um, or at least evaluated decisions. But I, I don't think it always has to be that way, right? I think there's a part of it that, that is difficult when you look at someone as a commodity, but they still are a person. And I'm hoping that I can ascend to the level that will have the sort of influence that can be transformative in that sense, that at the core of our business are human beings and human beings have feelings, human beings have families, they have hopes, they have dreams, uh, they have disappointments. Those are the sort of things that, that I want to consider. And, and who knows, maybe in the process, you know, that all falls apart. I hope not. I hope, I really hope not. Um, but I feel like I've gotten this far sort of, I don't want to say going against the grain because that's not right. And, and that's almost like promoting myself in a way that's not correct either. And, and I don't want to say marching to the beat of my own drum because there's, there's certain things that I have done that other people do. I just like to think that, that I can transform in some way the culture that I'm in. Yeah. And if I can do that in a positive way that is considering human beings, I think you can still be successful. I think you can still accomplish the goals that you set out but it ends up just being a better experience for everyone. Yeah, I think, I, and I think what you're saying there can be summed up with what you said before about being way more about the process than about the results. You know, it's the people are the process. There's a, there's a guy, um, Jesse Itzler, who's he's part owner of the Hawks. He, he, years and years ago, if you remember, wrote like the theme song for the Knicks as like this, you know, he's just this young buck and wrote a theme song and sold it to the Knicks. Um, and now every basketball team has their own theme song. So he's, you know, big hotshot coming out of the early nineties. And he, he, he said something uh, that I was listening to the other day. He said, he said, you've got to be your, your business plan. People invest in people. And, and I think that speaks to exactly what you're saying. You know, everything that you're talking about, I mean, someone is going to invest in you at that level, because you are the right business plan, you, the person, not, not anything that you've got, not any plans that you bring and because you're about the process. And I think that's, that kind of sums up what, what you're, what you're articulating right now. You know, I think that's the reason why in, in the inaugural season for, for into Miami that, that you were selected to be the captain of that, of that team. You know, there's, there's something about what you bring to the table that's, a, a, that's bigger than the game. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's the thing that will help you and help anybody that's listening understand how to actually get to the, get to the next level that you never actually get there. 
right? I mean, it's, it's like you were saying before, like if, if you, you could stop right now and, and kind of just sell yourself as having been, cause you, do you, do you have, you have the record for most consecutive starts, right? Yeah. So yeah, you, and, man, right? yeah. I yeah. mean, you could, but there's something to, like you could sell yourself on all these things, all these accolades, but that's, you haven't, you haven't brought those things up once. And I'm, I'm like, I, it's amazing to me that you have not, not that it's amazing that you haven't, but it's impressive that you don't feel the need to have to say those things. You know, what you talked about the most today was about the people, the connections that you made and, and highlighting about making the team a better place to be for people to want to be, to want to be around. And I have, I mean, hearing you speak and getting to know you even better today than I already did. Um, I, I, I firmly believe that there will be someone, an organization that's going to take a, that's going to take you up on what you have to offer and really transform the culture. I, I have no doubt that, I mean, obviously there's, there's more people that are part of an organization than, than one person. Right. But you were a major component to the, the rise of, of the Red Bulls and their, and their popularity here in our area. I mean, there's, I just have no, I have no doubt about that. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to, I can't wait to see what you bring at the next level to be able to help transform an organization in that way. And maybe even transform the entire sport. Cause I think there's a lot of people that, uh, that aren't aware of how great a sport it is and don't give it the, 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 the respect that it's due. And someone like you, who is about the process can help, you know, really transform public opinion of a, of that sport. Um, because it's, you know, if, if you watch any of your highlights, I mean, the, the passion that you bring to the game and the, the, the effort, I mean, you talked before about bringing your, you know, bring your best effort every day. Um, there's probably one particular save that I always think about when I think of you and is that, that double save where you made that diving, you know, diving leap and a ball comes bouncing back and then you dump back the other way. And I mean, you're just you're going like this back and forth, you know, and, um, and there's a lot of people in sport and in life that would have given up after that first save and just allowed the ball to go in say, oh, well, we'll get the next one. Right. Which isn't a bad attitude, right. To say, well, we'll get the next one, but you never, you never gave up. You know, and I, I, I really feel like those, that, that particular play almost summarizes some of the things that we've talked about in, in your life, you know, that you just, that you never gave up on, on yourself, on, on your path and on your passions. And you surrounded yourself with great people to be able to, to be able to do those things. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for you. I, I mean, this has just been a, an amazing conversation, to be honest, um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I hope that we do hear some good news in the future, you know, about the direction of your career. Um, you know, and I, I just, man, I'm, I'm just really excited for you. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank- I hope one day I'm back in Ridgewood. I mean, we, we loved it. We love being there. Just Somerville was such a great community and, and you really felt that. So um, well, we'd love to have you and thank, you know, thank you so much. You're, uh, I'll be rooting for you and following you and I uh, can't wait to see you in your next uh, leadership position and how many people you positively influence in the future. And our kids, I'm going to show our kids this interview because uh, to hear how you put certain things um, from, again, a world-class athlete 
and a person that they can look up to. Uh, we need we need more people like you in the world. So uh, thank you for everything you're doing, and uh, we wish you the best. we'll be behind you and we'll be rooting for you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank this you. has been the Leadership Compass podcast.